Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of All Too Real 2. My name is Michael E. Cullen II, and with me, as always, is... Destiny Cream Encarta. Um, okay. I'm gonna say this is the most offensive name you've had yet. Is it? Why? I don't know, it just is. I mean, I'm sure they can make cream out of sesame. I don't know, um, but it seems like... <laughs> good. I don't know. I mean, I'm no chef, but... Are you sure? I don't know, maybe... I am. Why not? No. Sesame oil. They make sesame oil, don't they? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could turn it into like a cream. I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. And all I do know is that you got the right one, baby. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, I got to tell you something. Sure. So, uh, the other day, even though I've been sick at home with COVID, I somehow traveled to Chicago. Yeah. I joined a gang. Really? That fast? Yeah. I got right off the train or bus or plane or however I got there. <laughs> Car, foot, <laughs> bike, you know, some form of transportation that took me to the magical land of Chicago. Yeah. The land where you, uh, you're you there for a few minutes and all of a sudden you're in a gang. Yeah, you just it's like, it's just part of the process. And not just any gang, like a... Uh, a gang that wears bandanas and fedoras and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when you know they mean they mean business. The weird arm armband that you twist over your arm or a tourniquet mm-hmm. or something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when you're in a in a real 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 gang, you know. And you 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 doubly know you're in a a real gang if they call themselves the Blades. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know yeah. you're in. Yeah, I mean, I was. You know, I was in this gang called the Blades, and. Yeah. Uh, then they started telling me that I needed to buy some ice skates. Yeah. And I got really confused. And then I realized I joined a hockey team and not a gang. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then and then you had to start delivering papers called the Blade. And you're like, what the hell? And yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah. I was in Toledo, and I don't know what the hell's going on. So <clears throat> this, may yeah. have, this may have been a COVID dream. It could have been. Or it could have been a dream from watching the greatest movie of all time, The Buttercream Game. Circa 1992, 93? I don't remember. 92, I believe. Yes. Um, yes, 1992. Yeah, so 1992. Good year for film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm X, I think, came out in 1992. Um, I think so. Yeah, Batman Returns, Lethal yeah. Weapon 3, Sister Act, Home, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Great time for film. Of course, it was lost in Chicago. He would have joined the game. So yeah, that that's a good thing you didn't go to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. If I've learned anything. You don't go to Chicago. Ever. No, no. Especially from a small town of good Christians like Elk Ridge. We don't know what state it's in. No, I never said. Yes. So, anyways, <laughs> in the past we have covered the sequel to this cinematic masterpiece, <laughs> Buttercream Gang in. The Secret of Treasure Mountain or something. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that, that was a very enjoyable, probably one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure why it's not on the AFI 100 list of greatest films in, made in America ever, but, um, you know, I keep, I, they, I keep hoping every year that they, you know, every, every time they release a new 100 list, you know. You know what might help that is if they make a whole bunch of unsolicited phone calls to millions of people and, and to get the word out, and then maybe then they'll get put on one of those lists, you know? Like a do not call list. Sure. That, you, that, that you're supposed to listen to. And, you yeah. uh, know. Fun trivia about the company who made this movie, by the way, is that they got into a bunch of lawsuits, both from the, the government and, and what was it? I don't remember now, but um, for um, basically doing a telemarketing scam. In 2009, the Feature Films for Families and the Dove Foundation together paid $70,000 to Missouri's Merchandising Practices and Revolving Fund after using the Dove Foundation to solicit, solicit on behalf of the for-profit 4Fs. Uh, basically, so there was like this uh, do not call li- call law at the time where if you were on that list, the only people that could call you were charities, you know, like legit charities and unscrupulous charities, whatever, you know. So you, you could be a good charity or you could be like, I don't know, Donald Trump creating a charity or some bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. They, they were they were calling all of these people. So like in, in 2010, Verizon Wireless, for example, filed a lawsuit against them, alleging that uh, after after they allegedly placed uh, 500,000 illegal automated telemarketing calls in just 10 days on the on the Verizon uh, mobile phone network to uh, try to, uh, to to advertise their upcoming feature film, The Velveteen Rabbit. And then uh, later on, they got in trouble. Basically, in the end, uh, their their owner in a related suit, uh, their owner who is Forrest S. Baker III, very fancy name, and uh, he had two additional companies, one named the Corporation for Character, LC, and Family Films of Utah. So he was waging deceptive and illegal telemarketing campaigns, pitching movies, and soliciting for donations, including more than 16 million phone numbers on the Do Not Call registry. Yeah, and they they, they called over 2 million of those numbers in only two weeks. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, they used uh, fake, or co- fake caller ID names like Customer SVC, Family Value CB, and Velveteen. <laughs> they weren't being too creative there. Um, no, but yeah, they 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 uh, they basically were claiming that all the all of the proceeds for this fundraiser would help them finish up creating this uh, recommended viewing list to help parents and grandparents like us with a list we can trust. <laughs> so basically, I've figured out how I'm funding my next movie, and yeah, um, they no, just <laughs> all in 15 million people. They got a little me- automated message and a weird you know handle and there you go you, you know you're cooking with gas there speaking of cooking with gas uh this movie it's definitely cooking something um i felt like i i inhaled some gas when i watched it um, yeah uh, maybe nitrates for me but um because it made me feel good but yeah good christian wholesome company you know here you know yes. this movie the, the the values of this movie definitely do not correlate with the values of the company that made it so and, and so so I, I've never heard of this ever happening in history where a uh, a like Christian espousing company or or like let's say religion or a pastor or somebody you know says something one day and then does the exact opposite you know later oh, no, never wait wait not not like another day but later that day um, no I never 
Oh, no, no, of course not. And they're all wholesome and everything about, yeah, I know. But yeah, anyways, I, I was, love this movie. Yeah, I yeah. love it so much. Yeah, well, what's your history with this movie? And so my friends growing up there, you know, neighbors that lived down the street, they were uh, very religious. They, they actually belonged to a church that practiced the Sabbath on Saturday. It, it wasn't the Seventh-day Adventist. It was, it was a different church. Um, it was called Worldwide Church of God back then. And they've changed the the name several times since then they got various splinter groups there's only about fifty thousand members in the world i think no. it was pretty small so you know they they really weren't allowed to watch like too much like secular entertainment but mash they were for some reason mash was a big thing there that's interesting yeah every day they watched mash when they did reruns and um and also walker texas ranger on saturday night that was allowed <laughs> We would come over Saturday night sometimes. We would watch Walker. And um, it was just, and, but they also they had the Buttercream game. That was like one of the only movies that they had on VHS. And we watched it at their house one time. I loved it. I thought it was great. And uh, my friend didn't really like it that much. So he let me borrow it for like two years. And I just watched <laughs> it like 20, 30 times from like the age of like nine to maybe 12, I think. I mean, then I kind of got, you know, sick of it after that or whatever. And so this movie has like a really special place in my heart because, because, you know, it's kind of like the opposite for me like i was not really raised religious at all or anything like that so that was like the first like quote-unquote religious movie i'd ever seen that was yeah. kind of like a yeah well, it's not really religious but it's kind of like got the underpinning you know yeah i mean it's got it's got like a, a religious message without beating you over the head with it but beating you over head with the message but not necessarily the religious part of it yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i understand that i mean there's a lot of people like especially like uh christian people because there's like some kind of like organizations and stuff that would like they would link up with like churches and other places i've read online where they would this uh you know the the four f's and they had some kind of like almost like a uh almost like a columbia house sort of thing with them where you would join and they would send you like a religious movie every so or or a, or a good-hearted movie on their that they released like every so often like if you paid for it it was some kind of like subscription thing i don't know if they had like the the whole like you know spend a penny and you get like a bunch of movies and then you have to buy like five later but it was something it was some kind of subscription thing early on and a lot of churches and schools would like sign up for that thing and then do that and uh, I was reading one thing where this guy was talking about the movie and he said that they uh, they they had copies of it they sent it home over the weekend with the kids with a with a like a booklet or something trying to convince their parents to buy the movie and join this club <laughs> yeah but if you didn't buy the movie you had to return the VHS or whatever so of course yeah wow I mean this is the time I mean I'm sure they do similar things now because they have like those stupid candy bars that they sell all the time and stuff but you know this is the time yeah. when you'd have these we had these things called kits, which were like a big, like cardboard suitcase looking thing that you opened up and it's got like <laughs> samples of all these different things that were like, you know, pencil toppers and keychains and bullshit like that, that you had to go door to door and try to sell. Yeah. Oh, yep. good times. <laughs> you know, making kids capitalists early on to raise money for your school, especially when you, went oh, to a sure. because I went to a private school, so that's why. But yeah. Yeah, I guess the tuition that they were paying wasn't enough. <laughs> anyway, so th this movie, what happens in this movie? Okay, so what happens in this movie is probably the most harrowing tale, morality tale, in any movie in history so far. And it's it, it's a stark reminder of the dichotomy of man, okay? So there's this character named Pete. His name is Pete Turner. He is the, the oldest member of a gang called the Buttercream Gang, and um, which... The members of which are called buttercreamers and um or creamers. I used to belong to a gang when I was a kid. We were called the uh the uh strawberry jammers. Yeah. So stra strawberry jam gang, I mean, and then we, we just called okay, we, we, like yeah, we we called ourselves jammers. So. Yeah. 
And then you got in trouble because they thought you were like jamming like signals and stuff like that. <laughs> well, that would kind of make sense with the whole thing with the four Fs here. But uh, yeah. So so Pete Turner, he's like the oldest, and he he has to move to Chicago to help um, look after his aunt's um, two children because she's divorced or something. I don't know what happened. And um, so he 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 nominates um, Scott, which is one of the members, to be the, the president. And he goes out to Chicago, and he's you know doing good in school he's you know a good example to his his nieces or nephews i'm not sure the genders of them and um and then he writes back to to scott every week and you know things are going great for a while but then uh uh-oh pete stops writing letters to scott regularly what could be happening maybe he's busy with school i mean he did get straight a's um for the first semester Maybe maybe it's that. Or, uh-oh, he's wearing different clothes now, which symbolizes that now he's a different person because when you change clothes, automatically it means personality changes. So, and um, he joins the Mean Streets of Chicago in a game called The Blades, and they get into all kinds of trouble, which I'm not really sure exactly what it was. All I saw was them in an alley and then trying to run away from the cops. Cops got him surrounded, and then he gets expelled from school, and then his aunt makes him go home. But I love this too. So when she confronts him about him getting expelled from school, and she's like, All right, can you help me with these? And he's like, What? It's like, You're going back to Elkridge. All he had was one suitcase. Yeah, That's I, mean, it. I, I understand that. I mean, that, that can happen. You know, like maybe he knew he was well, coming back and he still had like a lot of stuff at his grandpa's house. But yeah. but the thing is, it's like the fact that she pre packed for him was weird to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, what? And he's like, I'm taking you to the bus station. He's like, oh, uh, right, okay. right, right now, you know, we're going to catch the next bus. Like, literally right now. Like, so like, that's like another thing too. So like, we got to remember Pete has probably at the oldest, maybe 16 years old at this point in the movie, maybe even well, 15. I, I uh, think I, he, he's probably got to be like 12 or 14. I think he does not. Oh, really? You know, I mean, the, the oh. way that they're playing him off, at least, I don't think he's like, uh, you know, in high school, I think it's more. Oh, maybe, you know, because because the, the the other two are like in the like Scott and his two buddies, frickin frack, whatever their names were, Eldon and something else, I think. After that, the other two. Yeah, yeah. Th- those two. I mean, they, they were all like because they, they later on have a dance that's like the end of like junior high or something. Yeah. So that what are you like about thir- 12 or 13 around then? And, uh, you know, maybe 13, 13 when you're a freshman. I, I'd assume he was probably like a freshman in high school at the most so, okay yeah yeah i mean i know he was older than them but not by how much but uh but i don't even but know, the act- i don't even know if he was necessarily older than them like that much because i don't think he was like you know if he was like 16 i don't think a 16 year old would hang out with like some 13 year old yeah probably yeah well because yeah. he was trying to be a good example though with the buttercreamers and yeah, yeah. trying to was trying to steer the youth in the right direction but but then it. again one one of the main tenets of being a buttercreamer is just randomly hanging around with five-year-old girls uh, <laughs> but yeah apparently <laughs> in the movie Seem like it. I know it's a weird movie, and so so Pete he's got to go home, you know, with his tail in between his legs, and he's all sad and shit, kind of. But then he's still like defiant and arrogant, and so um, and he's dressed up with his new gang uniform, I guess I don't know. And then uh, oh, it just so happens to be right before Pete returns home, one of Scott's classmates, Margaret, happens to be doing a, a, a paper, an extra credit paper, mind you, about Chicago gangs. Wow. You know, isn't that so coincidental? That, and of yeah. all cities, like, you know, the only gang she's talking about is Chicago gangs. Like, Chicago and, gangs, not New York or LA. Maybe, maybe Elk Ridge is in Illinois and, and, or something. And, and this, this, never said this gang that, that he was part of, though, by the way, their, their, their outfits were to die for. 
Um, oh god, the the one guy was literally wearing a fedora. That's just you know I, I yeah can't fedora that. yeah I'm not sure, but yeah it's still he's and and they were all wearing like bandanas but of different colors. Well, that's like, to symbolize the ranks, the hierarchy. Oh, you know, okay. I don't know. Like most of them were wearing white, but Pete was wearing a red one. So I'm just like, but usually like the different colors don't get along from what I remember being a kid. But then well, again, that, is... that, 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 that was all, I think right around this time, you know, like in the early nineties when I was like, I was in high school, I was just about in high school or I was in, I was probably around the same age as these kids, maybe a little older. They, uh, you know, they, they used to do things like in, um, the schools of, of my friends at least. And, uh, for us too, on, uh, days when we could wear like regular clothing because we had to wear a uniform most of the time, you couldn't wear certain colors to school. Wow. Because they thought, you know, they would, might represent a gang. Right. It was so lame. Like, it's like, we're at a fucking Catholic school. How many of us do you think? I mean, obviously probably some were in gangs. I don't know, but it was just so weird. Yeah. Oh boy. Do you have dreams that you want to achieve but are scared to do so due to self-doubt, fear, and other people's criticism? I have just what you need. You need a dose of the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast where I interview guests that will motivate and inspire you to stop at nothing to achieve your dreams. And always remember, if you believe you can achieve. The Living the Dream the Curveball podcast is available on your favorite podcast app. Hey, everybody. Why don't you give the old Black Lincoln Collective podcast a listen? We're funny, we're fat, and we're here 24-7 at blcpodcast.com. Anytime you want to listen, anywhere, all your favorite podcast apps. Of course, we have a YouTube channel where you can stream live with the show. Check out our shorts. We're funnier the less you hear of us. That's been a Black Lincoln Collective podcast at blcpodcast.com. So Pete, he comes home. His grandpa's acting all like weird and shit when they talk to him and he's getting into his car. And they're like, well, what's wrong with Pete? You know, he's, his grandpa's acting kind of weird or whatever. So they go, the one thing, you just let themselves in. They don't even like, that's kind of rude or whatever. No, wait, there's something else that happened. So, and okay, I know I'm jumping around here. So there's oh, a yeah. scene, like you mentioned, where this little girl is like, you have to come do something for me. Like, like it's like an emergency oh, yeah. here. <laughs> and then there's this SWAT Elvin or El, whatever his name is to like jump rope and then do this thing called the earthquake. And because he's like a bigger kid, you know, yeah. so like earthquake is then he just falls on the ground and everyone else falls down because it's an earthquake. And that was the huge emergency. And then there's a second emergency shortly thereafter where I think it was the same girl comes up. They're at baseball practice, mind you. Yeah. And uh, and she like widow Jenkins fell. Okay. So here's, here's my thing. So she goes widow Jenkins fell again. So this is something that's happened multiple occasions. Uh-huh. And then she must've known and then ran all the way from the house to the baseball field instead of calling the police. Yeah, I, I, I have a note here from when I was watching it, and I said, "Yeah, was there no one any closer to help the Widow Jenkins, like the fire department or the cops? I, I, I'm convinced, though, in this town, there is no law enforcement at all. I don't I think there is, because everything that's going on in this movie, there's no 
consequences to the actions of Pete at all throughout this entire and, film. And, and, so, I mean, and, and they get on their bikes to drive to Widow Jenkins' house, and it's got to be like a mile away. Yeah, and also, too, the, the baseball coach is also the local pastor of the church. And what's hilarious is that and they're like, we're not done with practice, boys. And they go, I'm sorry, coach. Um, You know, uh, we have more important things to do. Mind you, the, pa- the pastor slash coach is currently wearing his collar still. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what's more important than baseball? Dude, you're a pastor at a church. Like, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? Well, didn't you know that in America it goes baseball, then God? Come on. I guess so. Uh, or maybe God is a baseball, or baseball is God. I don't know. But, uh, and uh, so so they go, yeah, they ride their bikes to the Widow Jenkins' house. Mind you, we don't know this woman's name. We just know her as Widow Jenkins. Okay. I, I think it's hilarious. Like, you got to remind this woman every time you talk about her that her husband died. Exactly. It's like, what the fuck? And then they, like, this really long scene that was just way too long where they're like, trying to get in the house they gotta like pull up a rope and climb up to the balcony all this weird shit and then they finally help her up and then so that she thanks them and then she asks you know like hey is there anything else we could help you out with and she's like yeah you know can you buy some groceries for me like so, sure so so my theory she, my, my theory on this yeah if you don't mind me saying is uh that uh, I think she fell just so she could get the kids to go get her groceries. That could have been true, yeah. But my but my feeling about this whole thing before that is, why didn't they break a window on the first floor? They had to go all the way up to the second floor to get into the building. I don't if, know. If you see a woman laying on the ground and you don't know, know. if she's breathing or what, just break a fucking window and get in. People will understand. They'll pay. Somebody will pay for it. Yeah, so I just don't understand why they didn't break a window or something. But yeah. Call the cops fire department or, or an ambulance or, you know, anything that any regular town would have. But I, I'm sure, I'm almost certain this, this town has no no authority. Maybe it's like an anarchist Christian type of commune structure because it does seem like the whole community looks after another, one another, which is nice. So anyway, but there was another scene even before that, which I forgot to mention, is that for some reason, Pete was known for quoting commercials to make people feel better about themselves or situations, which I'm not sure. <laughs> it's just so I don't really understand like what, why that would do something. And they kept uh, this, this throughout this whole movie. I cringe every single time they do it. They do the, the, the diet Pepsi commercial from 1990 or whatever. It goes, you got the right one, baby. Uh, uh, oh God. And it's just yeah, the it way they sing. Ray, oh. Char- Ray Charles singing it in the commercial that came out. I looked it up. It came out the year before this movie. Okay. So yeah. So, but the way they say, especially Eldon is the one that always like begins it. Like he's the first person to start the chant. And the way he says it, I just want to like strangle him. Like I know he's a kid in this movie. I mean, he's, he's probably older than I am in real life. But, yeah. Like, and um, like I just hate the way he says those words. It's just like, like it's just like nails on a chalkboard type of situation for me. You so, if you happen to it, be listening, the actor who played this, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, role, um, Brandon B- Brandon Blazer. If you're listening to this podcast, we've covered two of your movies so far. So if you'd like to come on and talk about it <laughs> yeah. and and explain to Sesame why he shouldn't strangle you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. No, I'm um, joking. And I do like Treasure Mountain, though, because he's the hero of Treasure oh, Mountain. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's a good movie. And I don't think Scott was in that movie at all, was he? Oh, Scott, Scott, Scott's in it. Pete's not in it. It's okay. He obviously is not, because at that no. point, he probably died that kill or something. But, like, and, um, <laughs> speaking of Pete here, honestly, I know this town must be, like, full of, like, Christian saints that just all happen to live in the same town in America. Just, yeah. Yeah. Like, 
And, but like, I would just kill them within the first 20, 20 minutes of the movie. Like, he's just a piece of shit. But like, anyway, so um, and and Pete sounds like he's a nineteen forties gangster. He does. And the way yeah, the way he talks. He's like, and, like yeah, yeah. What's up? You know, you know, come on, guys. You know, we're gonna we're 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 gonna go go down by the pond. You know, and we're gonna. <laughs> I will say this though, I do think the guy who played him was a really good actor. Oh, yeah, he was because, great, but I just yeah, I, think really I don't good. understand his accent in relation to the other guys, or to Chicago, yeah. or anywhere else. Like he sounds like he's from New York or something. I don't know either. I don't know where he's uh, from, but yeah. But it, I, I don't jump it all over the place because I watched it twice, but I'm still trying to process it because it's such a weird. Movie. So there, when he was in Chicago, it's the soon like when he first got to Chicago, hey, he's walking upstairs to like his like his aunt's apartment or whatever she lives in, and she's like lying out clothes on like a clothesline and then she's like asking him like how to stay at school was or whatever and he's like oh it was great i got straight a's whatever she goes that's great if your parents were alive they'd be proud of you like what the this, the this, way she said it, though. this movie just loves reminding people that people they loved died like, widow Jenkins she, and and yeah you know your parents died but the way she delivered the line was like so like Stoic. And, uh, Michael D. Weathered is Pete. Um, I don't know how old he is, but uh, yeah. Um, Jason Johnson's just a little bit older than me. Okay. Um, Brandon Blazer, who plays Eldon, is like two years older than me. Okay. So he's older than Scott. Okay. And he's got the right one, baby. So um, uh-huh. and, uh, <laughs> so um, so there's that whole thing. You know, they'd all make a phone call to the cops or the fire department or ambulance, what have you. They instead, okay. So so she goes. So they they agreed to buy some groceries from her at the local kind of convenience stores type small grocery store it's not like a real big one it's just like a small store she says the word treat and this word comes up probably about 200 times throughout the whole movie after she says this word and it just comes up over and over and over and over again and even Pete multiple occasions refers to it as treats as he's stealing and I'm like I can't take anyone seriously who is using the word treat as he's stealing something. Like, it just, like, it, it takes away any edge. Like, hey, man, I stole these treats. Like, <laughs> Did, didn't you know that treats are the gateway crime to even larger crimes? Oh, sure it is. Yeah, like. I mean, when you know, hostess eyes, like, if you if you snatch a hostess, you know, you're a criminal the mostest, you know, yeah, so. And, and John Gotti started out stealing Little Debbie cakes. It's yes. a known fact. <laughs> Yes, true. And this this leads into a uh, a thing. So they they go buy some treats, or not rather, this is the first conundrum in the movie. Because again, it's the morality tale of the highest order. Um, it's very complex. It's very philosophical. You need to really dig in and think deep about this movie. And so, first conundrum is when they're buying some groceries for the widow Jenkins, which we don't know what her name is, and we never learn what it is. He, the owner of the store, Mister Raff or whatever his name is, he tells the story for like the millionth time apparently according to Eldon that he was a buttercreamer himself back in the day and also one of his grandfathers was the founder of the buttercream game the origin of the buttercream game is this is not a double entendre but i think it was um they didn't know because they were pure-hearted christians you know they weren't thinking dirty like most people or myself would think they 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 were pure-hearted christians who go on to uh commit um telephone fraud Yes, yes. And, uh, so so a tornado killed a bunch of the men which is weird i don't know why it only killed 
So, okay. And then, um, and, um, so, you know, there was a lot of widows left around and the founders helped churn their butter. I'm just saying weird phrase because they're, they're churning the widow's butter. And, uh, like, and, uh, like you do, like you do, you know, everybody loves to, that's what it called itself. Churn some widow's cream. butter. And that's what they call itself the butter cream gang, which, okay. And, um, okay. That's, hey, mm-hmm. um, and then the first conundrum is that, uh, Mr. Graf, he, gives them the treats again he uses that word treat which is going to come up many times over in the spell uh, for free because you know b- one buttered creamer to the next or whatever type of thing yeah eldon was like oh well because he said you know give the change back to um widow jenkins, you know, jenkins. Yeah. and eldon's like well, why don't we just spend the money that she gave us on extra treats i'm like you know a, a capitalist you know kind of mindset you know and they're like no we shouldn't do that i'm like okay so well, that's they're, the they're, 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 I think they were slightly playing up because he's a little bit heavier than the other kids. That was a thing they kept. Yeah, they. Kept, I mean, the, the, this, uh, was, this was the stereotypical thing. Like you had, you had Jerry O'Connell's character in uh, Stand by Me around the time, and you had the you know heavier kid in uh, like Ham and Sandlot and stuff like that. You know, it's just that's the sort of thing you did. You know. Yeah, I mean, because he talked about stuff like I, I've had enough exercise for one day or whatever type of yeah. thing. You know, I'm asking that. And so, so they go and try to um, find Pete. They just pretty much just break into his house without asking you know or anything like that and then uh they find pete by the way there's some great cinematography in this film so like they're like they're like going in and you can see the camera just slowly moving and you finally see pete and he's like decked out in his game clothes or whatever and then uh with a pepsi in like, with a pepsi in his hand and yeah and he's got peanut butter that looks like he's just as sitting there for no apparent reason he's not even eating that he's got some bread just there too and then they're like hey you know wow you look different or whatever he's like yeah you like to do threads pretty cool right and scott's like yeah you you look different he's like yeah so do you it's all right though so that's the first part right there of the rift between scott and pete begins at this very moment right at the reunion is that scott notices that pete looks different because he's wearing different type clothes which symbolizes that he's a different kind of person because that's yeah. how that reality and then and then this this rift gets bigger and bigger and bigger throughout the whole film culminating at the end when they end up killing each other in a battle on um, royale yeah it was, like, it was like gladiator it was just great yeah so if so pete keeps evading their questions like yo it's, what's what's going on are you okay or whatever and he's like i'm hungry you're hungry let's let's go um let's go get some treats i'm buying i'm like god damn the word treat it just keeps showing up and then <laughs> But just like, like, why do they keep focusing on this word treat so many times? And um, I mean, like literally like 100 to 200 times throughout the goddamn film. It just keeps coming up. And then it's, so it's like buy a fucking thesaurus, somebody. <laughs> and then so so Pete is like leading them to the Mr. Graf's. Okay, so this this is like I'm I'm like ADHD mind today, like yeah. for some reason. So for years that it seems that uh, Mr. Graf is not the, the kind-hearted person that he portrays himself as, but instead had utilized what I'm assuming is free child labor from Pete for a period of years. It seems like no pay. No, nothing. Well, and they, they never say that he didn't get paid. Well, I, I, the later on, though, he does say something about all the help I did and get anything for it. So that could just mean like, oh, on top of my work, I, you know, sometimes oh, okay. would, would, you know, well, do extra work or something. <laughs> okay. Well, in my mind, he, he's, uh, he, he's, in my mind, it was child labor. So 
And, uh, so well, either way, I'm, it's child. My... Either way, it's child labor. It's just not if it's yeah. being paid or not. Yeah, that's my canon right there. Like, yeah. and then um, and so Pete, they're like, "I'm thirsty." And they're like, "Okay, well, why don't you go get the drinks, and I'll I'll go get the treats or whatever." God damn it, you know. And then <laughs> now I'm, I'm staying. And then uh, got you know things, you know, there's something up because Pete's acting like really weird and like extra nice to the Mister Graph, and just like he's acting like way too nice and sensitive, and just like gives off a like, weird, creepy vibe, like he's about to do something illegal or whatever and he says he wants so, to, he wants to go he, fi- he wants to find out where the shoelaces are so he can go look at those is what he says yeah and then so he goes back there and then he meanwhile he's like sneaking around buying or you know, stealing treats and then uh scott doesn't really see it but he's kind of looking suspicious you know see what's going on or whatever and so uh you know they leave mr grass reminds eldon for probably the millionth time at this point not to drink soda inside the store he goes oh sorry i forgot no he didn't you're just idiot and so Pete then says, oh, no, I was I was looking for the neon colored shoelaces. Can you give me a call when those come in? Okay, sure. Meanwhile, Pete either looks like he's about to shit in pants the way he's walking, or <laughs> it's obvious he has stuff in his pants <laughs> the way he's walking. And also, he, he, look, he looks like me when I have my heavier coat going in to see a movie at the movie theater. When yeah. I just kind of stop at the Walmart and get a bunch of candy and put it in there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so obvious that I mean, like, and he's like walking all weird. He's like slinking out the door and shit. And then also, too, right, right as they get out of the door, like in full view of everyone. I know, right in front of the window. Just takes out his pockets and throws each person the tree. He's like, one for you, one for you, one for you, whatever, like being all cool about it. And I'm like, oh my God. And so um, they're like, oh, okay, well, we're going to go um, help with um, working on someone's yard or whatever. You want to help us? And Pete's like, no, nah, I got to go, whatever. He's like, fine. And then um, God then calls a group meeting while they're walking mm-hmm. on that they're going to work on. And he's like, I think there's something wrong with Pete. And they're like, what are you talking about? Just because he looks a little bit different doesn't mean... Um, so that's a huge theme in this movie, which again, I'm actually kind of surprised because most Christian movies or Christian adjacent movies are really big on judging people based on how they dress and how they look and their appearances and stuff yeah. like that. So I was kind of surprised that this movie played a lot of emphasis on... Oh, yeah. Not judge people about how they dress. I was actually quite surprised. Um, anyway, what else have sir? Do you have any thoughts? Uh, nothing really. But I, I. So so basically, next we have uh, we've got um, Pete goes and um, so, so like there's this girl Margaret who has glasses. You know, yeah. So I mean, she's a nerd, of course. And she uh, she had done this report on the gangs of Chicago, which is the sequel to the Martin Scorsese film, The Gangs of New York. Yeah. <laughs> and he also worked with the Four Fs to produce it. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> And they called a bunch of people to get the word out. And then, uh, yeah, Dan- Daniel Day Lewis plays the older <laughs> version of Pete, just brilliantly. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh God, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Scott. It's just so great, man. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie, <laughs> a great sequel. Oh my God, I, I think I think I found a better movie. It's going to be called The Buttercream Gang of New York. <laughs> yeah, The Buttercream Gangs of New York. Yes. I think I found our next T-shirt. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So look for yes. that. Look for that on our T Public store. Yes. We're gonna have a T-shirt that's gonna be called the Buttercream Gang of New York. <laughs> New York. 
Oh god. Um, so, anyways, uh, we've we've got um, uh, laughing at my own idea. Anyways, so um, the uh, we, we've got um, so so they're like you know they both can't decide on if they. I mean, the, the other guys can't decide if they think uh, pizza bad apple now or whatnot. Margaret says something like there's something bad going on or something. Is this is this when she comes and tells them about it? Or, uh, or is this well, no, at first, uh, at first, she... at first but, yeah, go ahead. Well, at first, um, he asks if she, if he could borrow the oh yeah paper. And she, yeah, she, um, her paper on the, on the gangs of Chicago. And, uh, yeah. And then she's like, like, I'm not a delivery service. You gotta come walk with me to the school. You gotta go sit on the fucking porch while she goes and like. Well, you see, this, this is the point where they, it basically just really proves the fact that women mature faster than guys because, um, she totally, I, wa- she totally wants Scott. So she's just like, yeah. I know, but he's like a, being a complete fucking moron. And, uh, uh, and then, um, but she wears glasses. I know. Yeah. Well, they do, they do do a can't hardly wait. Oh, no, that's uh, what I'm not, saying. That's why I was pointing that out because she was, she's all that. <laughs> around them yeah. kind of but it's like more innocent because the kids you know but like but they do they do do a she's all that yeah you know the christian version of that kind of thing later on in the film which you know you know that gets really heated up it's almost like a firecracker you know goes like anyway i'm getting ahead of myself that was a dumb joke yes <laughs> So the uh, so basically the one thing about that that scene on the porch where he's asking her for the uh, for the thing I think the, there's a little girl there I think that's like Scott's sister or something Yeah I think so we don't we never really yeah, learn she, like she's standing on the porch while they're having this conversation like really creepy in the corner and for some odd reason my thing is is it's it's I don't blame her. I blame the cinematography or the direction. You could have her standing there, cut to her every so often, but she's like in every shot, just standing there in the corner, looking on creepily. She's like spying on them. Yeah. It, yeah. Um... It, it's but it's just so creepy. Anyway, so, I don't know. He he gets the paper because he wants to find out more about you know these these uh these vicious gangs in New York where uh, yes. where the kids are going down alleys and getting caught by cops and um uh, after they murdered a family of four and four to four Fs and yeah, um, all four of them. Yes, yes. They, they they murdered the uh, family films for or the feature films for families. All four. Uh, it's um, three a.m. doing solicitations and like, God damn it, quit calling me. Things. So, so he he gets this paper. He gets home after after talking to Margaret. Talks to his dad about the treats or whatever. And uh, Scott yeah. S- Scott's dad advises him to return the treats and tell Graf what happened, but also confront Pete before making any accusations about stealing the treats. Yeah, the the treats. Treats. Yeah, you know, good old Pete's treats. Yes, yes, that's the uh, buttercream gang part three. Pete's treats. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. So, um, we've got uh, we've got that happening, and so he he ends up uh, going into his room, and Pete's hanging out on his bed. <laughs> How would he get there? No one knows. And I don't know. He's offering. Is he maybe he wants to offer Scott some treats? Oh wait, sorry. <laughs> So he he thanks Scott for not turning him in to Graf and promises to apologize and pay for the treats. <laughs> yeah, he, he he tries to say that he acquired these bad habits from his gang in uh in Chicago. I almost said New York again. <laughs> gangs of New York, yeah, yeah, uh, buttercream gangs of New York. So, but while while he's talking to uh, Pete, his little sister overhears the whole thing, and so instead of like you know going to an adult, she goes to Margaret. Yeah, because again, I think this town is run by children. I think so. There's no. No adult supervision. There's no police, apparently. Um, 
They're just like the adults just let the children, I guess, learn the hard way. I don't know. And then you find out in a deleted scene that the mayor is just some 12 year old kid. I'm telling you, I think this is a proto anarcho Christian type of society where the there's the law of the Bible, but not not the not the real law, but like the like the, the Bible teachings are the law, but it's but no one enforces the law. You only enforce it on your own self, you know? So I'm pretty sure that's what this this town is yes and it's and it's run by 12 year olds yes and random five-year-olds so so this little girl goes to margaret instead of to you know the parents or the police or anybody else or to mr graff or anybody you know about the situation basically what um margaret tells this little girl to do (laughs) is to literally stalk a gang member (laughs) after writing this expose on the the gangs of chicago she's like yeah go Go stalk this one and see what he's up to. You know, nothing bad could happen if he finds you stalking him. No. It's not like he's going to kill you or something. But anyways. I mean, we don't know because Scott's dad even said yeah, to Scott when they were outside on the, the, the porch. And then his sister was eavesdropping this whole time. And right before they go and eat dinner, he tells Scott, he goes, real gangs are real dangerous. So if you think he was in one, then you need to be careful. And so it's like, yeah, send up, send this five-year-old to, to spy and port back on what the activities are of Pete's new gang. I hear that's how we won World War II. Yes. It was five-year-old spies. I, I, you know, it's like Spy Kids for real. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Spy Kids, uh, Nuremberg edition or something. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. God. Th- then we basically have, you know, he, she goes to stop. She goes off to stalk him. Um, we basically, we have, uh, she assembles her friends to do it. So it's not just her, mind you. True. Yeah. There, there are several, several, several little uh, Muppet baby spies or something or whatever you want to call them. And anyway, so, several yeah. children that are being endangered. So it's not just one. So that's good. And uh, that makes it better. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, like, it, it, sure. it, it's like when there's wars and there's more death, it doesn't matter as much to people somehow. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess that makes sense. You know, yeah. Like Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Not so, gonna... so we have this. We, we have this uh, great montage following that. Yes. And um, in with with Pete and his new gang, there's some random other bullies from school that he becomes a gang member with. What uh... he recruited them. He like he's like a capitalist dude. Like he he saw them and saw like what they were capable of. He immediately went up to them and he started teaching them gang mm-hmm. stuff. Apparently, what to do if you're in a gang, I guess. Like, I don't know what, you know, whatever. And then... yeah, he's, he saw potential in him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, he, he probably saw potential in Scott and Lanny and Alden before because, you know, he he, he was the leader of the Buttercreamers. And, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> he was the head of Buttercreamer. Oh, yeah. And, and basically, the, the funny thing, too, about the Buttercreamers thing, too, is like the, there's the montage and uh, the, the little friends of of, uh, of uh, the little sister and everything and and, uh, and Margaret, she, she calls them the Buttercreamettes. Yeah, that's so creative. Yeah. So, so Lanny and Eldon and and, uh, and Scott, you know, try to decide if Pete should continue in the gang or not. And at that point, they're they're debating this. And uh, Margaret approaches the treehouse to report that the Buttercreamettes have been observing and implores Scott to take some action because she owes him a favor. First, she says, you owe me a favor. I need you to take some action against Pete. But before leaving, she says that, but that's not the favor. The favor right. is I need you to take me to this dance. Yep. Yeah, there's like a end of the year dance sort of thing. So later on, we've got this situation where Scott is badly delivering newspapers, and he uh, he spies on Pete and his gang, and he sees them bullying Margaret. And by bullying, I mean they're riding around her on their bicycles and taunting her. Yeah, making fun of her because 
She wears glasses. Mm, so get she, it? So she's a geek. Glasses. Yep. And then uh, Scott's looking on, and then he 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 uh, intervenes and you know saved the day. Runs in. Finally, he waited like ten minutes, and then yeah, yeah, he's like he's like contemplating here, and he's just like, you know, if they kill her, I won't <laughs> I won't have to go to this dance. Yeah. Like you know what you'll have to go to, buddy, a funeral. Yeah. Uh. So, man, so, 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 you know, he runs, he runs his bike into one of the gang members and knocks him over, you know, in a kind yeah. Christian way, <laughs> but he does, you know, but, but he does save the day and, you know, he's sitting there, he's like, you know, but, but, but he did a compli- com, you know, that the complicating, the con- contemplating, you know, situation where he's just like, do I like her enough? Do I care? You know, but right. Pete, like, you know, you know, basically is getting all mean to him and everything. And he's like, you know, why are you defending this geek and all this shit? And, uh, and, uh, and Scott basically determines, you know, you're out of the gang. And then, yeah. but, but Pete's like, you know, you can't fire me. I quit, you know, sort of thing. So, right. Yeah. Seeing that this, that his, his new, uh, you know, Tweedledum and Tweedledee friends are, you know, good enough for him. And, uh, then we've got the night of the dance. What happens there? So uh, Scott shows up dressed to the nines. And, um, you know, uh, Margaret's mom's at the door. Um, she has him sit down on the porch with her. And then, oh, Margaret comes out and she's not wearing glasses. And oh. Scott's like, what? You know, and, and, and then, you know, and like, faint, faintly, in my, faintly in my brain, I hear, kiss me. Right. And then, like, the suave dude that Scott is, he says that his mom bought the massage for her. Because why would you say that? Like, why would, okay. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, what the fuck, dude? Like, I mean, it's just like the weird shit that, I don't know. Maybe the writers actually are pretty good, and they, they knew how to make him really awkward. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, 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 it's not horrible, but it's still, it's like, that's not something you say to a girl, you know, if, if you're trying to impress her or something. But I don't know if he is or not. That's the thing. I don't know. Yeah. And so they're, you know, they're going to the, walk into the dance. He's basically accidentally implying that he doesn't really want to go with her, yeah. which upsets her. And then um, they get to the dance, and oh, but she says, but he says the reason that he doesn't want to go with her is that because he he doesn't know how to dance. Yeah, that he's afraid of of that. So yeah, and so they're at this, they're doing a slow dance, and Eldon and Lanny are just standing there awkwardly, and then two girls come up and each ask one of them to dance with them. There's a bunch of other girls standing right behind them, looking all sad, like like they missed out on this great opportunity to. <laughs> Dance with Earthquake Eldon and Buzzcut Lanny, you know, and it's just like I mean, just okay, it's it's it's, it's like you know they could have danced with Daniel Day Lewis and uh, and and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, yeah, or something. Exactly. Wait, no, yeah. just joking. <laughs> with Leo, I don't know because I know he likes them young, but I don't think he likes them that young. So, uh, <laughs> you know, sorry, that was me. <laughs> well, at the was... time, to be fair, he was their <laughs> age, so I know that was sorry. That... <laughs> it was mean of me to. Well, I mean, he, he does have that thing, you know, like once they turn like twenty, he doesn't. Oh, it's twenty six. I think. I know. Um, I'm joking. <laughs> whatever. I, I was. That was. I shouldn't. But that's just. I mean, spirited. Come on. But whatever. And so. Um, and so while they're slow dancing, and they're like practically hugging each other. So obviously Scott does kind of like Margaret. And then Pete ruins it by throwing a firecracker right at her feet, and then it explodes. I mean, well, not really explodes. Whatever. You know, it goes off. Yeah. It goes off. I mean, that, and, that um, still is dangerous, even with that little thing, because that little, that little fire could have caught Margaret's dress on fire or something. Oh, totally. Yeah. And then, um, so then Scott goes and runs after him and pretty much challenges him to a fight the next day. And they're like, all right. And my favorite, well, one of my favorite lines is they're like, yeah, you're toast. And then they go, yeah, Bert toast. <laughs> I have that, I have that written down in my notes too. Yeah. It's, it's just like, 
I love that. And like Pete looks back after he says that though, like he really he's like that was a good line. Like I'm gonna have to remember that. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, every time I'm getting into a fight with someone, I'm gonna call them. I'm gonna say you're gonna be burnt toast and see what happens. I mean, I I I, I would go into like you know and be like you're gonna be toast. You know, like 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 French toast. Oh wait, what? No, that's yeah. not right. Uh, cinnamon toast. Gonna be or... Cinnamon toast crunch. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> avocado toast or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, that is, so, that's the reason I can't afford an apartment. Yeah, it's because yeah, exactly. Or a house. There's too much guacamole or whatever. Too much Starbucks and, and avocado toast. So, and speaking of toast, so there apparently there's like a, you know, like there's kind of like a joke that like British cuisine is basically just like a bunch of shit food or whatever. Oh yeah. And so, which you know, some of it's true. And then uh, there, there's actually a thing called a toast sandwich, which actually yeah. sounds pretty good. So. It's just, you just toast a piece of bread mm-hmm. and then you just put that in between regular pieces of bread that aren't toasted and you put like some butter on it. I'm like, okay, I, I can actually, I can actually go for something like that. Like, you know, so like, like, maybe... so, so, so like two untoasted pieces of bread with a toasted piece in the middle. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I can, I can, you know, I mean, I would have to put more than just butter on it. Maybe some peanut butter, some jam. That really sounds like, like something that came out of the Depression or World War II or something. You know? I like, think so. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and so, um, speaking of depression, this, this movie's making me depressed. But um, because Pete, Pete plays as the guy who plays Pete plays his heart out in this role that's so silly, but he does all he can to make it serious because there's nothing serious about this movie you're constantly saying the word treat you're saying things like burnt toast um you're circling people with bikes you're you know you're you're kicking flowers like that's your big gain activities you're you're like lighting random shit on fire that's not even dangerous you're you actually refer to your fellow gang members as gang members like yeah really and like so i uh i I looked him up the actor michael uh, michael weathered um he uh he went on to do a lot of like guest spots on tv shows and stuff but he had a substantial role in the david lynch film mulholland drive okay so that's just kind of weird you go from buttercream gang to david lynch well it's the it's the the buttercream to lynch pipeline you know (laughs) very well known pipeline (laughs) (laughs) wow and so, um, and so, you know, the big fight's gonna happen, but then it happens to be Sunday, so they're at church, and of course, the pastor, the same pastor who thinks baseball is more important to God, and he's he's delivering a sermon. I, I want to point baseball. something out really quick about the church thing that I that I made a note of. Okay, so when he's when he's coaching the baseball team, he's wearing a collar. Yeah, but when he's in service, he's wearing a tie. I wonder if that was a mistake. Like they, yeah, wore like the clothes. Or, or if for... this is some kind of thing, like where they just have like random like collared things that they wear sometimes. And I don't know. It's just it's just strange because he had like a he had two different you know baseball outfits too. Like one was one was like tan and the other one was blue. So I don't know. Right. So, but maybe it's a symbol to say that he likes baseball more than God. And so it was like. Baseball is <laughs> true religion. Yes, Christianity is a hobby to him. Yes, oh, no. this, Chris, this Christianity is a hobby. Yes, yes. And, uh, this movie has layers, Mike. Okay, it's, there's so much. Yes, so much more to the buttercream game. To the, to M- much like, much like toast, it has layers. Yes, it does. So, um, you, you really gotta dig deep and watch this movie about a hundred times to really get to the core of it. So, 
he is delivering this this turn the other cheek sermon of course and he's like you know the old testament law has been replaced you know we don't do eye for an eye anymore you know we don't we don't love people based on you know whether or not they're going to change we just do it because that's the right thing to do that was the other thing too so like they um there's um this big plot in the movie or this big message of the movie that's basically about like not trying to manipulate people into changing yeah because scott scott throughout this whole movie he's he's trying to be nice to pete he's trying to do nice things for pete but he's doing it with the expectation that he's going to change and and pete understands this so it makes him like resent scott even more because he knows that's what he's doing and that he's not really he's not really doing it and so like pete you know is going through you know some stuff here because he you know he doesn't really like the person that he's become and so like he'll he'll like go back and forth real like he'll he'll kind of like go back to his old self for like a few minutes and then he'll like realize what's happening and then he'll quit you know go back to his new path or whatever and then um they get into this huge argument because um because you know after the sermon scott decides that you know they don't want to fight the new gang or whatever. So um they they do like a white flag of surrender or whatever and then they they ask Pete to meet Scott alone by the the river or the creek or whatever. And so uh Scott challenges Pete to spend the, the next day with them just hanging out or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, they start doing what they used to do, like going fishing and swimming in the pond or the creek or whatever. And then they're hanging out at the treehouse afterwards. And he's like, yeah, it's just like old times or whatever. And Pete's like, yeah, but it's it's really not old times. And he's like, well, but it could be. And he's just like, no, it's like, you know, people change or whatever and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, they get into this big fight because, you know, Pete doesn't like what Scott's trying to do and stuff like that. And... <laughs> He gets, he, he goes, not once did you guys ask me what happened in Chicago? Not once. And it's like, but they literally did the first moment they saw you. Exactly. And they like, what are you talking about? You and just didn't you tell made, them. And yet you had made the question by saying, let's go to the store and steal treats. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's like, well, you know, when you've got a treat on your mind, that's all you can yeah, think well, about is treats. Did I mention yeah, treats? Exactly. Yeah, as you mentioned, treats, 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 William, treat Williams. And, uh, rest in peace. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, rest in peace, totally. And um, I, I forgot that he died, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and so he gets, so now they're like enemies because of that, that perfect day they spent, and then they got ruined at the last moment. And so, so uh, Scott, uh, the next day, he's um playing the championship baseball game, and so Pete decides to heckle him. Which is another weird thing. So, how is the umpire just allowing Pete to like heckle the like he's like he's going over the field? Like you, what's that? Like, you can get kicked out of like a, a professional baseball game for doing that. I'm yeah. assuming I'm assuming you could at a at a little league game because there was like this there was this like really annoying guy the last time I was at a at a Mud Hens game who just yeah. kept like taunting the the visiting team. I don't know who they were, but he like he like was really into the sport. He like knew all their names and like all this other stuff and like. And, and, and they're my they're, they're the team below them and was like totally like saying you're gonna go down to the whatever team and all this other stuff and like just yelling at them and uh and and this uh we were right by the uh the um where the where the where the uh pitchers warm up what is that called uh yeah yeah anyways the the pitching coach down there looked at him and gave him a look and just like kind of pointed at him and it's just basically like you know 
you better stop or you're getting out of here. And this was, this was the, the mud hens pitching coach too. So, you know, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, he starts off by the, you know, the, you know, behind the fence though. So it's like, okay. But then he gets to the point where he's like right behind the, the fence where he's batting. Yeah. And he's like, the thing is too, the Pete's grandfather is just like standing there behind him, like not doing anything to reprimand. That's the other thing too. Like his grandfather is completely helpless. Like he does nothing yeah. uh, to rein Pete in. Like there's no stern talking to. There's no nothing. No. And then he's like, oh, "I'm sorry. I wish like there's more I could do." It's like more. You've done nothing. You, you <laughs> could do something. <laughs> and then like Scott yells at him. It's like you could send him back to Chicago where he belongs. And then you know he acts all like hurt and offended. It's like, well, dude, like you're not doing shit for your grandson. Okay. That's the other thing about this movie. So you know, if you want to get really deep into it, you know. Because we're all focusing on Pete here and his bad behavior and shit like that. Well, um, Pete obviously has some kind of mental illness going on, and the town's doing nothing to treat it. I know. So, <laughs> treat, treat it, and uh, and so you, you don't you, you treat it with treats, man. That's all you do. You give him little debbies. You're doing all this other shit, like trying to get him to change by manipulating him by. Eventually, the whole town just starts like giving him shit for free, and it just makes him even more bad. So he just starts doing worse shit, and then they keep giving him more stuff, and it just like, and that's how we get Donald Trump as president. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It was so um, the the, and so I want to mention something about the baseball game really quick, if you can, if I can. Sure. So in one shot, the scoreboard says that the Red Sox, which is the team that Scott's on, has six points and the Braves have five. Then the announcer says that there has been a complete turnaround and the Braves lead by two. But the scoreboard says that the Red Sox have eight and that the uh, Braves have seven. Okay, so they like stole a point from uh... They They just had the wrong score on the board, I think. Yeah, and so uh, what happened? So um, after the game, he, you know, he gets benched because he's, you know, yeah. Scott's at, but then the pastor slash coach slash coach comes first, pastor comes second, and yeah. uh, and he's like, let's just hit some balls, you know, so you don't want to end the season with you getting kicked up the, or we getting kicked out of the game or whatever. Yeah, and so he starts talking about Mahatma Gandhi about nonviolence and how that's how India won its independence, which is actually not actually true. Um, Gandhi himself actually said that his tactics wouldn't have worked if there weren't other people who were committing violence. But then we're not going to get into that, you know. And um, we're just we're going to get into the whitewash version of yeah. That's, I'll see where, where, where does uh you know actual history matter when you're talking about you know school history or whatever, right? So, yeah. Exactly. So he's basically making the point that you know Scott shouldn't like try to change Pete or try to try to face up against them and that kind of stuff. So then he gets the idea of like, hey. Um, well, at one point he, he has his game beat up Scott actually right after the game. Um, and then Scott shows up again at the rail yard where they hang out and, yeah. um, he just straight up just gives Pete his bike. Cause Pete's like, he's like, he's like, you're, you're going to be my friend no matter what you do, Pete. I love you. And then he's like, oh yeah. What if I took your bike? He's like, well, you don't have to here. And so he's like, what? You know, and all yeah, because like the whole thing is like, like, you know, like Mr. Graff had said something like that too. It's like, you know, if he doesn't want to, you know, Scott told him about the stealing and he's just like, basically like, well, next time I'll just give him the treat. Right. Yeah. And so like we had this montage too, where they're like, they're going to like go into the store and steal stuff. But then like, he just comes out the door with a bunch of sodas already. Yeah. He's like, oh, have a seat or whatever. You know, and then like, they're about to sit down. He's like, no. Like, you know, like Pete's like, he's on to shit. He knows what's going on. Like, 
like the other people don't know is his gang fellow gang members, which they're yeah. called gang members. Uh, they they don't know what's going on because there, there's an alternate version where Mr. Graff joins up Pete's gang. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's a really sad story that one. But uh, and so and so like the whole town just starts doing this, like and it's like pissing him off even more because like he knows what they're doing, <laughs> he's acting out even more, which then makes them even treat him better. Which didn't make some yeah. act up for, so he can't take it. So it gets to the point where this leads into one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a movie ever. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, mm-hmm. this scene is in the books. Like, it's one for the books. Like, so it starts off with, they're like, again, because there's no police in this town. So they're like, oh, um, someone's, so Pete's in trouble. Someone broke into his house or whatever. Don't call the cops because they don't exist. And then, um. Well, actually, have... actually, during that scene, Margaret finally at one point says, maybe we should call the cops or call wow. the police. Yeah, she does at one point. She says that. So finally, and she does. They get the right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, again, what this is why I'm, I'm assuming this is some kind of anarcho-Christian town where they, they only call the police on very rare occasions where they absolutely need them to. Yeah. Otherwise, it solve their issues themselves. But at this point, this guy is holding up Pete. He's wearing like pantyhose around his face or whatever. And he's like, he wants Pete's grandfather's coin collection or something. Yeah, like gold coins then, of some sort. Yeah. And then Pete's like, don't worry. You know, um, the insurance will pay for it. Just don't let him hurt me or whatever. And so, you know, Scott's and Earthquake, Alden and Buzzcut Lanny, they <laughs> say the thing. They basically incapacitate this guy. And then the guy's like, Thinks Pete is um uh what's the word I'm double crossing him yeah and so like we find out they Pete, think Pete like, is in on it yeah yeah so they think like Pete's gonna finally be glad because they saved them but he's even more pissed off because they ruined his trick or whatever so then he goes and just bolts out of there just runs as fast as he can again with the camera work so he like walks into the store and his camera just goes straight into the face of the owner of the store, Mr. Grab, and then like proceeds into the best scene of ever and I've ever seen the movie where he's like, Give me all your money, old man and the guy's like, Okay, okay, here here you go. Um uh here's two hundred and twenty six dollars. Is that okay? And he's like, like, don't you understand you're being robbed? He's like, oh I know that's what you're trying to do, but if what if I give you the money then you're not robbing me. And he's like, What? <laughs> I'm all crazy. You know, when someone's trying to rob you, you don't give them the money and say, no, you're not robbing me. <laughs> like, and he, got, he gets this club out of nowhere. He just starts trashing the whole... Yeah, the whole store. Start, yeah. yeah, He starts trashing the whole store. And, um, and then Scott shows up and he's like, you know, what are you doing, Pete? And he's like, shut up. I'm going to... I'll hit you right over the head with this or whatever. And he ends up like knocking something down really hard off the shelf. And then he's like, you're my friend, Pete. How... I love you no matter what you do. And he's like, no, I want you to hate me. Because why? Because I hate myself. <laughs> he just runs off. I'm like, there it is. Finally, he admits that he hates himself. That's why he's acting out. I mean, we could have guessed that throughout the whole movie, 20 minutes in. You know who else could have guessed that? Maybe if his grandfather would have been like, hey, let's talk, yeah. to, the, let's talk to the like school guidance counselor or somebody in town or the, or, I mean, or, or, or the, or the coach priest. And, um... Like coach priest, yeah. There's probably at least a couple therapists, therapists in town. Yeah, not outside of town. You could find maybe a psychiatrist. That's the other thing too. So I feel like definitely want to kill Pete. I think he's a piece of shit. But like I also 
feel kind of bad for him because like this guy, this kid is obviously struggling with some kind of mental health issues. And they're just like, no, what we're going to do, we're just going to like taunt him by like doing nice things for him. And <laughs> Like, kill him with kindness, because at one point, he's like, you're trying to remember about the great person that I used to be. And it's just like, dude, that is like torture if you think about it. Like, it's like worse than punishing someone, because I, just like, like... I wonder if anybody watched this movie and took that lesson to heart. And like, there's yeah. some, some like, really mean bully at a school, or like, worse, like a gang member at your school. Yeah. Like, like a real, you know, like, guy with a gun, you know, doing drive-bys, gang, or gang member or something. Yeah, and um, the somebody watched this movie and just decided, you know what, I'm gonna give him little Debbie snacks and uh, you know, other treats stuff for free, and I'm just gonna, treats. you know, anytime I see him, I'm gonna do nice things for him. Yeah, I don't know if that worked out as well, you know, for them. He might reality. get shot. Yeah, exactly. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it might work. But the thing is, <clears throat> so you gotta understand the psychological damage this entire town is doing to Pete. It's one thing if it's one person. <laughs> You got an entire town united with a united front, mm -hmm. and they're all doing this in tandem with each other. It's gonna make you lose your mind. Exactly. Like that's like psychological torture that they're doing to this poor kid. It's like, hey, maybe just take him to a therapist. Maybe get him on some medication. Maybe he's got something going on, you know, mentally. Maybe I mean, that's why he's. There's got to be one of these like seven year olds in town that has a therapy degree, right? Oh, of course. I mean, they're the ones that run the town. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, you know. I mean, like, you got every, you know, you got, think about it, he's got, he's got parents that are dead, he's got an aunt that reminds him of that in the weirdest way possible by saying, if your parents yeah. were alive, they would have been proud of you, and just like that kind of bono tone, and then, um, and then you got Grandpa, whatever, Turner, who just, like, Grandpa checked out of life, Grandpa like, neglectful, or whatever, yeah, you know, doesn't, doesn't talk to Pete, apparently doesn't have any boundaries doesn't have any rules just lets him do whatever and that's the other thing too and so how many laws has pete broken in this movie that has no one like's never gone punished like like um like the firecracker thing that that could be a thing right there um beating someone up that's physical assault um mm -hmm. stealing um but that's, that's the other thing too there's this montage too where it's like the dichotomy of man thing going on so like with pete and his gang gang members that he calls gang members um they're like stealing tomatoes like green tomatoes from like a vineyard or whatever not, not vineyard but um garden or whatever yeah. and then like yeah. they're like haha we're stealing these tomatoes or whatever and they're like throwing them or whatever and then um then it goes to like the buttercream gang that shows them like picking them gently and they're like doing good deeds and then it's like it goes back to Pete's gang and just doing like destructive behavior, whereas the the creamers they're doing like good things, no whatever. And it's like, and they got the song. This song was like this guy like wrote his heart into the song for the buttercream gang. Like I I hope he wrote other songs beside this. He's like living on the streets has changed the way he sees the world, or no, he's it's something <laughs> like he sees the world through different eyes or something like that. And it's like yeah, the mean streets of Chicago. With the blades and whatever crime that they did, which they didn't really explain what they did, because apparently they got out of jail or they didn't even go to jail. They got arrested and nothing happened to them. There are, apparently, there are three songs listed in the soundtrack on the Internet Movie Database. Okay, one's called "Dreams of a Better Day." Yes, that's the one. Music and lyrics by Kurt by Kurt Bester, performed by Judd Marr. Of a better day, I love that. And then um, 
Sorry, my voice is going out from talking about this movie. Um, but um, but I just can't get over the fact that an entire town, like you gotta, you gotta just imagine like the Twilight Zone shit must be going through your mind at that point, where like you, every everybody in town is like intentionally fucking with you, but like in the nicest way possible, and you hate yourself already. For the bad shit you do, and then you hate yourself even further now because the bad shit you do against the people that you love are doing nice things for you. But it's not just one person; it's every well, except for the grandfather, because the grandfather apparently doesn't give a shit about him because he's nowhere to be found at all. So I'm sorry, I, I've like talked over you this whole time. I've, oh no, you're good. You, this is you're very passionate about this film, and I feel it. I am very passionate. I love this movie. So, but the, I got to can I talk about the ending, and you can come in too. But yeah, go ahead. Ending I, I, I have of, many questions and many comments about the ending. Yes. So the ending is one of the worst cliffhangers I've ever seen. So so he, he goes back to Chicago, doesn't write Scott a single letter the entire time. Scott's been writing him letters for a whole goddamn year. Doesn't get the fucking hint that Pete's not going to write him back. And then, so he gets home from school one day, and then like 15 people from the town are all standing there looking solemn. Well, before that, though, Margaret says somehow she she tells Scott that that uh, Pete went back to Chicago. How did Margaret know and not him? Yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> and then so Margaret's got everyone looking like super sad. Scott's freaking out like, oh, my God, they got to tell me that Pete fucking died to get shot or something like that. And then like it doesn't always turn out this way. Like I'm like, oh, God. So it's like he basically saying like, you know, you did the right thing. But, you know, there's not always a happy ending. And then Margaret's like. I'm really proud of you. And she's got tears in her eyes. I'm like, oh my fucking God. They're going to, because I forgot about the end of this movie. Yeah. I'm like, are they going to, this with Pete fucking dying? Like, <laughs> I was seriously worried. I'm like, I was too. I'm like, I, I, don't, I didn't remember the ending. And then they're like, um, there was an article with Pete's name in it. And I'm like, oh, like, holy shit. Like, and then like, and they're like, they're like looking like all sad. And shit. I'm like, this is not the time to do the fake sad prank and then it turns this, this out isn't the time to punk a kid you know what i mean <laughs> no it's not come on like after your best friend leaves after having a full-on mental breakdown at this company's the cut the town store saying that he hates himself and he wants other people to hate him for it yeah. when the whole town has been psychologically torturing him for like weeks at this point and then he just disappears and then you got like the whole town standing in your goddamn living room um, with sad faces, you got your girlfriend with tears in her eyes. I mean, come on. And then and it's like, no, it turns out that Pete essentially formed a buttercream branch in Chicago. Yeah. So now we got a gang that's got multiple locations throughout the country now, which that's not usually a good sign. When you when you expand, it's not usually for good reasons. I don't know if Pete's got some angle he's working on where he pretends good. <laughs> But he's really doing bad underneath. But anyway, it says that he had a meeting with the mayor of Chicago. Yeah. Okay. Chicago, one of like the biggest cities in America. Yes. And he met with this teenage boy who founded a chapter of the buttercream gang in Chicago that apparently was so influential in that city that it warranted a meeting with the mayor and a picture being taken. And he's still wearing the same clothes he was wearing before. I know. And 
like, and like, there you go. That's their absolutely. chapter of the buttercream's like uniform. So, and, and then after that, we do have a scene. We, we do have a final scene though, too, where, uh, where it ends with Margaret insisting on being initiated as a buttercreamer. Yes. yes. Yeah. And then, and then the end, and then also the end, they, they all are the four of them, um, um, her and, and, uh, what, what is it? Uh, earthquake Elden and, uh, bus, yes. bus cut Lanny and, uh, yeah. And, um, and, um, and serious, no Riz. Yeah. Serious Scott. And um, they're 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 all rushing off to help the widow Jenkins again. Again, it's like, oh my fucking god! Like, I mean, do like something about this. Like, somebody buy this woman a wheelchair or something or a walker. I don't know what the fuck. Or, <laughs> or just call the goddamn fire department. I mean, get her like, a, get her a living nurse for Christ's sake. Um, I mean, yeah, instead of like doing the stupid bullshit of like coming over to her house occasionally and then like helping her up and buying groceries for her so you could buy a treat for yourself after with the change or whatever. But um, and for, from 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 a storytelling point of view here, the ending sucks. It does it's, I, I, it's terrible. I, I'm I'm glad he 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 got you know he's he's started this buttercream gang in in Chicago. Show us, don't tell us. This is a film, not a book. So my whole thing with that too is so Pete obviously had change of changes ways over the, that year period where he wasn't writing any letters to Scott. So it wasn't just like the day the article came out, he started doing good things. He obviously yeah. started probably as why, soon as he, why got didn't he Scott. write Scott before this to tell him? That's, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, you're, you're doing good shit, but you're not writing your friend back during the entire. And instead of having the, 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 the town punking the asshole, like the kid, right. um, the, the 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 yeah. problem they, they should have had a scene where where Pete calls Scott up on the phone or or Pete comes back to town and lets him know about what happened and shows him the newspaper article. My thing is it's it's almost like Michael Weatherid like quit the movie partway through and they had to like tie things <laughs> up. Yeah, that could have been it actually. Um, that's what it felt like. But that's the end. Yeah, you yeah. Know, um, basically, Margaret basically says, "Hey, you know, we should make changes." Let girls be in the game. And then she kisses Scott on the cheek to basically like, you know, like, hey, you know, I kissed you on the cheek. Therefore, now you got to listen to me type of thing or whatever. I don't know. And then, you know, yes. puppy love, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, and yeah, Miss Jenkins apparently is just falling over. That's the other thing, too. It reminded me. So I don't, I can't get over the weird thing about quoting commercials. That's the other thing, too. He, like the big thing was like, did you see any new commercials in Chicago like that? That was a big attraction is like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't get the cool commercials that you get in Chicago. Like, okay, you know, I guess I, I, that I'm was pretty sure like, you know, most of the cool commercials like Pepsi commercials air nationwide. I mean, he might have saw some cool commercials for like a local car dealership or something. I don't know what the fuck he would have seen that you can't see. And I just don't know. And in, in whatever the fuck the town is that they're from. Anyways, that that's that's the buttercream gang. It is. I I will I will recommend you know after you watched this which I'm sure you all did before listening to this and if you haven't heard our previous episode about the buttercream gang you know in uh in the treasure of the secret of treasure mountain or whatever the fuck it is that's what it was yeah I I, I can't believe I accidentally guessed the name of the movie um hey. <laughs> yeah the if if you haven't you haven't listened to that. Um, be sure to watch that and listen to this. They're both on YouTube for free. So, um, yep. you know, or if you want to, or if you want to, you can still go to the four F's website and you can order yourself DVDs of these movies. Yeah. You could go buy yourself a fucking copy of this. And, um, yeah, you know, which, I, which I recommend legally do that, do that legally, you know? Yes. Help, help out a company that did things illegally. 
the other thing too, someone had remastered this. Um, the the video we saw was a remastered version. Yeah. Of the act, like someone actually loved this movie so much. Maybe it was maybe it was the four episodes mm-hmm. that I don't know, and they actually remastered it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like there you go. Good job. Anyways, uh, you know, check those, check that out, and everything. Make sure you check out any of our other episodes that you might enjoy too, because we've got a big back catalog, and you can listen to it here or on YouTube or anywhere else that you find your uh, good old podcasts. Check out our T Public. I'm going to put up a put up a, a new shirt in honor of this called the uh, the Buttercream Gangs of New York, or maybe I'll just call <laughs> it the Buttercream Gangs of Chicago, and I'll do it in the style of the. Uh, of the poster for the gangs of New York. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll, we'll, we'll have a buttercreamers uh, shirt up on there for you. Um, yeah. You, you know, in sometime in the near future, if not, when you're listening to this shortly after, but you know, check that out and you can help support the show by buying one of our T public shirts. You can go to our Patreon and help us out there. Check out our social media. All the links for all of this are on all two real com. The best way to find out anything about us. You know, if you have any old, you know, favorite film that you watched as a kid that, nobody else knows about that you might want us to cover, you know, send me a message at Mike at CullenPark.com or somewhere on one of our social media accounts, you know, because I'm always up for finding some weird, you know, kids movie, you know, to cover on the podcast um, that I've never seen or one that I have seen either. You know, if there's whatever, just let us know what your favorite, you know, your favorite little uh, kids movie was, you know, Um, you know, whether it be something like The Sandlot or, or, um, you know, I don't know what, what else, you know, stand by me or something like that. You know, whatever your favorite one was. My, my favorite kids movie was flight of the navigator. So yeah, oh, okay. yeah just let, let us know. Maybe we'll cover that in the future too. That, that one's an interesting one. I think we should cover. Have you ever seen that one? Sesame? Oh, I don't think so. Oh, it's, it's definitely something. Maybe we'll cover that in one of our next couple episodes. Uh, any other final thoughts here before we wrap up this probably long episode? Very long episode. Um, no, just um, be be good people. Be like be like a buttercreamer, you know. Mm-hmm. Churn um, that butter for the well. And yep, I will tell you that this yep. whole this whole experience doing this episode has been a treat. Yes, yes. Remember that I love you. Sesame loves you. Don't go to Chicago. No. And until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to All Too Real 2 Podcast, a Cullen Park production. Produced and edited by Michael E. Cullen II. Music by Matthew Haas. Subscribe and share the show. Visit us at cullenpark.com.